0: Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to FocusCompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to my co-founder, Jeff Cannon. Jeff, how's it going today?
0: It's going well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's
1: going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Today's podcast, we're going to spend some time talking about entertainment stocks. Um, so we could go over restaurants, we could talk about cruises, we could talk about movie theaters. Mm-hmm pretty much my favorite things in life. Okay. Movies, food, vacation, all the good stuff. Right. So let's go over. We could throw in some hotels too if we want. Um, and the first one we have is Carnival Corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a lot about this stock. on a, We've talked about it personally, and then we also talked about it as a stock that you would consider if you were forced to invest in a company that is larger than $10 billion. Right. Um, and you think that Carnival is going to win out or probably has the best odds of just being a great stock you know over the next 10 to 15 years um as soon as they you know get people to get
0: on cruises again you don't think that industry is going to die or
1: anything like that
0: uh sort of i don't think the industry will die yeah i don't know about the specific companies and i'm not sure if carnival be a great stock in it but if i had to pick something over 10 billion it's it's interesting um i don't know that it will have amazing growth and things over the next 10 years i don't know that it's amazingly cheap it's not amazingly cheap um, I do like your thought process, though.
1: How you compared Carnival to the airlines, for example, and how you think there's going to be like less the, cruise ships, and you I think like there's going to be a lot you the think airlines. there's going to be more airlines in the future. We've so, like from a supply this, demand I, situation, yeah,
0: we've talked about this. I'm very worried about the barriers to exit in the airline industry and subsidizing of it by by governments all around the world i don't like the airline industry nearly as much as the cruise ship industry because i feel that the cruise industry is likely to have better ability to control its supply and demand issues of it in fact we've seen some divestitures by the major um, cruise companies and stuff. And I see that as promising. I think that they will better be able to cut their supply of new ships coming online, and their growth is strong. I think there's the possibility, uh, long term, I think there's definitely a the possibility for as much growth in um, the cruise industry in real terms as there is in airlines, uh, airline travel, and all that. And you're not exposed to um, corporations either. So I think, yeah, it's a much smaller industry. Uh, in terms of the oligopolistic nature of it. Three companies, Carnival, um, Royal Caribbean, and Norwegian, control much of the supply. And even some of the other actors in it who have much smaller um, influence over supply, like Disney owns some of its own ships and stuff, um, are rational. I can't say that about airlines. And um, then just also I think the financing of airline stuff is too easy, and governments are too in favor of it, and there's a lot of things pushing stuff out. Um, there's some stuff of that in shipbuilding too. There's a few, um, shipyards around the world that only a handful that build cruise ships and they employ lots of people. And so the governments of those places are very interested in, um, in, you know, supporting those kinds of jobs the same way, like Detroit, you know, the US government is kind of supports jobs in Detroit and stuff, but overall I think it'll be much more rational. Yeah. I feel that in a few years they could get supply under control so that when things do bounce back um pricing could be strong in that industry Mm -hmm. and it was bad before Uh, the other thing is they consume a lot of oil so the two things that would be beneficial to them always when i look at cruise stuff i think okay will the price of oil come down over time will the fuel costs come down and can we keep the supply constrained Um, those are the two things you need the two things you fear are oil that that oil prices are lower now than they will be in the future so they're going to go up while you own the stock and that there's too many new ships coming online. So you want to be somewhat contrarian in this industry compared to when investors like it. We can see this down at the bottom. You could invest in 2013 2014 when return equity was four or 5% knowing it would be 12 or 13 in a few years because you know what was the price of oil back then it was pretty high Mm -hmm. and what were the new ships coming on they were slowing down new ship stuff in part because of oil oil was hurting their returns so they were thinking okay how do we like not build too many ships and everything and you can see you can read the 10k for each company and see how many new ships they expect to be delivered to them so you practically see the whole industry i mean like by name we know what ships are coming online that's how well you can know this industry in terms of supply and demand
1: yeah i think back then oil had to have been closer to a hundred dollars per barrel and they
0: use Brent. Off of it so i think they're they talk about their pricing of about 110 dollars a barrel because the brent spread was bigger than normal during that period yeah yeah funny story
1: when we were on our research trip last week jeff was selling cruise ships pretty hardcore to me and i decided once cruises become a thing again i'm taking a trip to alaska i've never been on a cruise jeff has been on it once or twice a couple times
0: yeah i told you Alaska. i don't know that you'd like alaska alaska's pretty expensive and skews older so i don't that's know. that's my crowd are you kidding me might be. <laughs> um yeah so that's one of your possibilities. I don't know. I think Caribbean is more your kind of thing, but we'll see.
1: What, what is that? What's Caribbean? Oh, like sure, going to yeah. the Caribbean. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm so I've never done it before. So I'm like, well, I can't have an opinion unless I experience it myself. So I'm mm-hmm. going to I was actually it was funny when we got back to the hotel that night. I was looking on uh, Carnival's website trying to see if, when I could book a trip. So I thought that yeah. was uh, that was and, fun.
0: Uh, we had talked about leaps and so one yeah. way possible to do this, if you do want to invest in a company like Carnival and you can invest in either of the two other ones that uh, we could look at the other two um, publicly traded ones. Um, they're Royal Caribbean and uh, so RCL and uh, NCLH, I think are their tickers. Um, they're not really ch- cheaper uh-huh. than Carnival and uh, I'm not sure I like them as much. Royal Caribbean has the best ships in the industry. And for various reasons that have to do with that, I think people got very excited about the company in the last few years. I don't see it as a huge difference in terms of management doing really smart things as much as their strategy made a lot more sense. And it's kind of technical to get into it and stuff. But because of the nature of things in the cruise industry, I think having these mega ships, but fewer of them uh, was more got you higher returns than a carnival which had uh more ships but smaller ships mm-hmm. so the biggest ships in the world like we we're talking about oasis class and stuff that had been built by royal caribbean so for reasons that have to do with fuel and other stuff i think that that helped them
1: what's no, uh, norwegian
0: Cruise nclh i believe nclh
1: is that it yeah good memory
0: yeah now norwegian probably would be more your style of cruise in terms of how they market things and stuff like what uh, Norwegian's big thing that they've been pushing in terms of their marketing is allowing people to have more choice. Mm. So uh, they give a bunch of perks and stuff, and then you choose how to use them, and then you decide like when you want to eat and things like that. It harms the economies of scale in the industry, but it's seen as attractive, and it makes a lot of sense if you're the third-place player to try to differentiate yourself from the things that the first-place and second-place companies do. Sure. All right, let's go over Jeff's
1: favorite personal company i would say cinemark doesn't mean he likes it as a uh, stock or I business do. Do but like he loves cinemark. it personally as a
0: business i would like cinemark by far in the u.s compared to Antarctica. even better than amc oh, much better why is that i don't like amc that much really um i mean amc was cobbled together by a bunch of different things that you might have seen that were in more urban areas and things but both of them own a lot that are in malls uh i mean the yeah so both of them do that cinemark does have some larger standalone things too, I guess that's true. Um, Cinemark bigger in this area. Cinemark's HQ is about, a, you know, I don't know, a mile or less. Yeah, it's here. like 10 minutes. Yeah, it's not 10 minutes, it's-, it's By walking. It, yeah, maybe. <laughs> the, the, when we were talking about the field, uh, the, the last piece of developable land around here is right next to Cinemark's uh, location. Cinemark does not own the property though. Cinemark doesn't own any properties, but all of their corporate functions are done in the ne- a few towns around here, in like Plano and, and places like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in like Frisco, McKinney and stuff like that. So do you like Cinemark? Yes. Um, I don't think the stock's that as cheap as you would expect. So, for instance, ev to sales here is just one time. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I mean, it's a little cheap because if you look at operating profit, right, that's close to 15% in some years. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, then you tax that and everything, and you end up with a number that would give you, like, about 10 times earnings. But considering that until only a week or so ago, almost all the movie theaters in America were basically closed – um, or not showing new movies that would be attractive to people. Um, it seems not that ex- uh, not that cheap, I would say. It doesn't seem distressed, right? The price? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, of the movie theater chains, I like Cinemark the best. And you can see that it ticks all the boxes in terms of key ratios that I would focus on. Um, it consistently... I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but revenue growth almost every year. Gross profit growth almost every year. Um There's just other things about the economics of it that have been improving. Like what Uh, concessions. So I mean, but for like 20 years it's been improving in terms of the average spend that they're getting per person and Mm -hmm. the amount of gross profit they've been able to sell more and more concessions. They've redone a lot of their locations to have like luxury loungers and things like that Um, helps increase the pricing because you're not necessarily going to get more people attending movies, but you can raise the price. So it's an industry where you basically raise your price every year on movie Mm -hmm. tickets. And you also raise your price in terms of uh, you also raise the amount of consumption they have of concessions that are more expensive. You you change the product mix more and more expensive stuff. And so over time, you capture more and more income per person that comes to each of these things. And they've done very well doing that in this industry. Industry is more rationalized than it used to be. It's cut down on the number of locations, things like that. Uh they all, Cinemark now has close to a million people I think as part of their loyalty program. Now those people wow. may have quit and stuff during COVID. Uh-huh. But that's the other thing. So you have people who are part of your loyalty program whether that's things like getting breaks and concessions and stuff like that, but it's a more rational sort of approach to like um uh the free movie thing that we're talking about, right? Uh so the, like to movie pass. Yeah, like yeah. movie pass. So each of these um companies AMC, Cinemark, each of them have this subscription thing that they do the membership, and they've gotten them to meaningful uh, sorts of numbers. And those people are the, your most common uh, movie-going people, right? Because that's a big thing with these companies is that you have people who are very frequent movie-goers, and then you have a much smaller, a much larger number of people who are very rare movie-goers. You want to increase the frequent ones that you get. Mm-hmm. How does that compare to AMC and entertainment holdings? Why do you like
1: Cinemark more than AMC?
0: So um, I don't like the top levels of management and stuff at AMC and haven't as opposed to Cinemark. To be fair, though, I think at lower levels, I don't disagree with them. Um, So I don't, we were talking about the loyalty program, so like that, I actually think AMC has done great on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't disagree with their approach on those levels. It's the levels of like the top executives and up, maybe one level below that. So, um, but like, you know, when we talk about like C-level executives and stuff, certainly I don't like that uh, the investors, the board, the top executives at AMC as much as I do at Cinemark. Um, You can find stuff on Cinemark in their presentations and also their uh, annual reports and stuff. They've generally been with the company a long time and stuff like that. Um, And their background, I like a lot, the people there. Uh, Cinemark also is bigger in Latin America. And they have certain clusters in some places. And the two places that I think they're pretty big are in Brazil and in Colombia. Really? Yeah, those are the two that they got uh, bigger in. And I think that those make a lot of sense to do that. And in the U.S., they're bigger in places that I like in the U.S. more mm-hmm. as places for future growth um, than something like AMC. What did they do in 2013? Look, gross profit jumped
1: massively. Well, that's about revenue.
0: Accounting—that's an accounting thing. I don't know the details of that. Clearly, the gross margin that you saw before in 2010, yeah. 11, and 12 was site level, and then after that, drops from being site level. So they're adding that to their operating expenses, as you can see there. So it probably meant that their sites were making like 15% or something. And then there was an accounting change that changed that afterwards. Because the gross profit number of like 60% makes sense as a gross profit. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also see that Cinemark runs itself more conservatively always than the others. Now they all lease their locations. Cinemark does not own, as far as I know, does not own a single piece of property. It's not like Reading. Um which a lot of people might be interested in and we could mention, you know, um, Reading is a company that owns movie theaters and also also live play theaters. So it's in the U.S. and Australia. Um, I don't like the company as much and think it has some uh, risks to it, but it has a very large enterprise value so it's market cap's only 115 but enterprise value is big it was like a billion where they own do they own their properties yes Got so it. they own the properties and they are going to develop them into different things and stuff like that so people like it because it's a mix of both of them mm-hmm. um i don't know i'm not even sure if it's a great merger target honestly they own a lot of independent type of theaters the theater right here a block away from here is owned mm. by them got it they own it they so those are also like their tenants and stuff usually and then in addition to that being a movie theater so i go to the movie theater all the time and it's an angelica brand movie theater which they own the angelica brand um but they i think it's a less attractive type approach than what cinemark has cinemark has a lot of scale i think the the biggest the four biggest or so i would compare to each other so um and i think you know down to about the level of like a Marcus theaters. um, I wouldn't really go much beyond that. That's but what I went to growing up. Yeah. Yeah. They used to be more independent ones. I think Carmichael was independent, and there are a couple others like that, but they're mostly not independent anymore. So technically, this might be one of the biggest independent movie theaters that isn't owned by one of the other circuits, um, but it has very small market share of writing.
1: Have you ever been to an IPIC theater?
0: No, I have not.
1: They have one in Allen, Texas. Mm-hmm. I know they only have, I don't know, maybe... I don't think there's like hundreds of them throughout the United States, but I know it's like, there's a handful. It's kind of like, it's a, it's the experience where you could, you know, put your chair back and they have someone that comes and waits on you and you could you know, drink and they order food and they make like a full experience out of it. I feel like that has you written all over it.
0: Yeah. AMC is pretty big in, um, in theater dining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were one of the pioneers in that and they definitely pushed that out in a lot of different places. Um, so they they definitely push that in, uh, to a big extent. That'll be interesting to see because obviously with the coming back from COVID, the capacity utilization stuff isn't an issue for just watching the movies. So like if they tell them you can only have 20 or 30%, it doesn't matter. 20, 30% full is fine for movie theaters. Not Unlike restaurants, they make plenty of money doing that. But it won't work for places where they're feeding people because those have to be full. So you have fewer seats and stuff in the ones where they're feeding people. Why do you think drive-in theaters basically went
1: away or they like got killed. I mean, there's malls. not a lot of them. Got it. So you think it was malls and made the-
0: sense before malls. And then once malls were in there, I mean, you can read in the outsiders about general cinema, but I think the logic was to lease your locations in malls made more sense for places than to buy locations, to focus on things being cheap for the land and stuff that you would buy. So when companies used to actually own the land outright, Uh, It made sense to pick locations that were somewhat close to population centers and stuff, but were cheap enough. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it made more sense for them just to lease locations in malls. It'll be interesting to see what happens now once malls decline a bunch. But you have to remember, like, for your age, it's not as noticeable because you probably are familiar with the idea of, like, um, these, like, Cinemark and stuff has these megaplexes, right? You know, these ones where they build 20 screens and have a standalone. Yeah. That's a new concept, though. That's only been around like 25 years or something. Before then, it was all in malls. And so that kind of scale is something that these companies pushed later on in like the 90s and beyond. Um, And they may continue to do that, you know. But it's just, yeah, it's just a change in terms of uh, real estate stuff. And it may change again in the future if malls become less popular. Got it.
1: What about Cheesecake Factory? We've talked a lot about it, restaurant stocks. And this is something that we've talked a lot about off camera as well, um, because a lot of restaurant stocks are very cheap right now. Yeah. Uh, QSRs aren't really like, you know, Starbucks and Chipotle and McDonald's and stuff like that, but actual restaurant stocks where you have to go, I guess, dining.
0: Yeah, I don't think restaurant stocks are that cheap. You
1: I don't, don't think so? No. Okay.
0: I think Cheesecake Factory is unusually cheap compared to other restaurant stocks. But in general, I think restaurant stocks aren't that cheap. Yeah,
1: it looks like it, it fell a little bit. and I,
0: I would be much more interested in cruise and um, movie theaters. Just like, Let's give an example here. So um, EV to sales here is 0.7, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Cinemark. Check their stuff.
1: Cinemark, oops. All right, EV to
0: sales, one times. times. And price to sales is 0.6. Okay, so EV to sales is one times and EBIT is 10. Okay, and then go to Cheesecake. Yeah, it's about the same. So they're trading for about the same amount of pre tax income. Um, Which would I like better, Cinemark or Cheesecake Factory? Probably Cinemark by a lot um and we can just see that in terms of the um difficulty of growing over time and stuff by a concept like cheesecake factory also the fact that it's focused entirely on you're risking it all on one concept um that can be difficult um returns on invested capital probably are good at cheesecake factory but not higher than you have in the movie theater business um now some people might say movie theaters have risks of that stuff going offline you know Mm-hmm. And uh, but they've been I mean, saying that for online, a long time, you know, right? So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And you've talked about there's actually no evidence that that's actually harmed movie theaters and stuff like that.
0: Right. Uh, well, it hasn't harmed the businesses, certainly because of the rationalization of the industry. It's difficult to tell on an audience basis whether there's any less movie going in today's population than previously. Uh, the reason for that is the population that's most important to movie going is like 13 to 30. Hmm. If you adjust for the fact and the changes in aging stuff in the U.S., I'm not sure that there's any been been any decrease in uh, movie going per capita adjusted for age in the U.S. So I would say that movies culturally like at a movie theater are about equivalent to what they were um, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah,
1: let's look at Six Flags Entertainment. We could go look at Cedar Point as well or Cedar Fair, whatever it is.
0: So they are,
1: let's see, currently trading four times E B to sales. And I know that their parks are, they opened up again, some of them, and they were disappointed with the attendance since reopening. We actually drove past one the other day and remember it was just, it was kind of crazy seeing the parking lot just completely empty.
0: Was that the one in Oklahoma, not the one in Texas?
1: Yeah, right? uh-huh, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they're all just, we could look at SeaWorld as well.
0: I, yeah, I, I don't like any of these as much as the ones we talked about. I like Cheesecake Factory better. I like Cinemark better. Cinemark's not cheap, but as a business, I like it a lot better. Carnival has more long-term um, potential when it does recover. Carnival, the bonds are have high yields, and people are very worried about it. But um, yeah, I mean, the pricing on it, you, you know... Um, You're getting a pricing in terms of like what historically its earnings have been and stuff that is in line with what we're seeing with your average restaurant, theme park, whatever thing, and this is much safer uh, as a company, uh, as a business, if it gets through its current liquidity issues. Um, But I I guess that's why these stocks bounce back, some of them a lot, is because of how easy it has been to get financing, and naturally that would benefit those companies which are most... Um, imperiled. So the most marginal firms would bounce back the most, whereas companies that have better access to capital and stuff wouldn't necessarily bounce back that much. So it would make sense that like a restaurant one-tenth the size of Cheesecake Factory would bounce back more because it was seen as being closer to the brink of bankruptcy. And that might make sense also for some of the theme parks and things we looked at. Some of those theme parks, remember, have been passing all their dividends through. Uh, that's how um, Cedar Fair works. And also using more Um, debt. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that I mentioned don't use a lot of debt. I mean, Carnival in the long run had been considered the safest of the cruise uh, industry companies in terms of the safety of their debt, their credit ratings and things. Cinemark certainly is of the major theater chains in the US, always been the most conservative in its approach, uh, as evidenced by the fact that some of the others are kind of in bankruptcy or about to be in bankruptcy. And that's not an issue with Cinemark. Yeah. And you were talking about how if you
1: were to structure a trade for Carnival, you would look at the leaps yeah. as a way
0: to do it. So, next year, there should be leaps available that run um, through to early 2023. And the reason why you would do that is because then you might be able to um, have exposure to the stock that you could eventually exercise the options um, after you knew more about COVID. Because, presumably, one way that we'll see, but presumably, one way or the other, you'll know a lot more about whether a carnival can survive and cruising can come back in January of 2023, which mm-hmm. I assume is when there'll be leaps that expire then. So in t- in 2021, you should be able to buy leaps that expire in early 2023. And that should give you enough time to get through this period with COVID. Uh, it depends on the pricing of the leaps and stuff, but so far from what I've seen, it looks interesting. Uh, it could look really interesting, especially because if volatility has been low as it has been recently, then some options that go out to them will be really, really interesting because people may be pricing in far less volatility than they should be. Um, So yeah, I would say leaps are definitely the way that I would look at it for Carnival.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like uh, that approach too. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. We are using QuickFS. If you do decide to sign up, make sure you tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in. Hit those subscribe buttons and we will see you in the next podcast.